Recovery Elevator, episode 464. Like, I feel like I had finally started to be a little bit less critical about it and a little more like curious about it of just why am I doing this? Like, what am I actually trying to get out of it? I know that I get up every morning and I don't want to do this. And by four o'clock, I am drinking again. But like, what does this story look like for me? Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. I'm so excited to have you here. On today's episode, we have Danielle. She's 34 years old from Northern Ontario and took her last drink on August 20th, 2023. I want to say thank you to all of our Cafe Ari chat hosts. You guys do an incredible job. Thank you for your time. Listeners, today is going to be a good day. Today has already been a good day. The time of year has come. It's time to get our alcohol-free ukulele on. This January 27th, we start our six-week online ukulele course. Now, what in the heck does a sober ukulele course look like? Well, we're going to meet six Saturdays in a row at noon Eastern with a group of rock stars who are exploring life without alcohol and who want to learn a new hobby in sobriety. Of course, you're going to learn how to play the ukulele, but you're also going to learn how music and sound vibrations can help you quit drinking. We've got four great instructors lined up, so you will find yourself in smaller practice sessions often. There's a link in the show notes to register, and for more information, thank you, Robin. And now, a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. I used to really buy into this idea of new year, new you. I would make these huge declarations and set really big goals. Don't get me wrong, I love the idea of wanting to become a better version of myself. I did notice, though, that there was a layer of shame that always settled in any time I didn't achieve a big goal. Lately, I see the new year as a time to reflect and give thanks. I still set goals, but I tend to not make extreme resolutions. One of my goals during this past year was to commit to weekly therapy. I have been in therapy for years, on and off, taking breaks when life gets busy or whenever I just feel like I'm doing okay. During 2023, I really wanted to stick to weekly therapy as I knew that I was ready to dig into some things that I wanted to work on. Life gets busy, and there were definitely some months when I thought about dropping to monthly sessions. However, I stuck to my goal. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit betterhelp.com elevator today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot elevator. Okay, let's get started. If you're joining us for the first time or you're new to the podcast, let me get you up to speed. Now, I imagine we had several new listeners last week since it was January 1st, and hopefully our new listeners are still with us. So first off, thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. You, the listener, are a huge part of this alcohol-free movement that is gaining momentum daily across the globe. Every day, month, or year, more and more people are waking up to the idea that alcohol is holding them back in a major way. We live in a half-asleep drunk world, and you are waking up. I am so happy to be on this journey with you. 
Okay, the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill, and I'm the host of the RE Podcast. Myself and Chris Oyen split the interviews, and I do most of the introductions. The format of this show is, we cover a topic relating to sobriety or quitting drinking for five to eight minutes, then we interview someone who has ditched the booze. Guests have months or years away from alcohol, and some have a couple days. We aim for the 50 to 55 minute mark per episode. This podcast comes out Monday mornings, and we have released an episode 464 straight Mondays in a row. Now, this is something I'm very proud of, and we have a fantastic team. We have Chris from North Dakota, who is my co-host. We have our editing ninja, Ty, who is based out of Bozeman, Montana. And then we have Odette, who handles sponsorships, and she's out of San Diego. And then we have Robin, who does the show notes, and she's out of South Carolina. Wow, the, the internet is a magical thing. And everyone who touches each episode of the RE podcast is also on the sobriety journey. We are walking the walk right here with you. A bit how the Recovery Elevator podcast started. In 2014, I found myself unable to quit drinking. It seemed like an eternity of day ones. Now, I did have some traction with sobriety from 2010 to 2012, but that didn't last as I was doing it alone. Yes, I do think it's possible to quit drinking alone, but it's not sustainable in the long run, and this would be called a dry drunk. It's also incredibly painful and boring. On the flip side, when we quit drinking with others or a community, it can be and is a lot of fun. So in October of 2014, by the grace of the universe, I found myself two months away from alcohol when I heard that familiar voice say, I got this. Now, the last 100 times I told myself I got this in regards to alcohol, the reality was I didn't have shit. The I got this voice was always followed by a direct punch to the goat blocks, and each time I drank, I ended up in a worse and worse position. There is a progression to this disease, illness, or whatever you want to call it. I could see on the horizon that if I listened to this I got this voice just a couple more times, there's a very good chance I was going to end up dead. So thankfully, in the fall of 2014, there was a bigger voice that said with grace, Paul, you don't got this. And in fact, we need to do way more. That was the moment when the idea of a podcast came to mind. Why? Who was I kidding? I had zero chance of success if I continued to do this alone. I knew that. So I selfishly started a podcast to create accountability. If others tuned in and benefited from the podcast, then great. I really didn't care if anyone listened because my goal was simple, and that was to stay sober. On top of starting the podcast, I ventured further into AA, I got a sponsor, and I did the steps. Looking back, it was a risky move to start a sobriety podcast so early in my own sobriety. Success rates in this space show I should have crashed and burned in front of an audience. But for some reason, here I am today, nine plus years away from my last drink. On September 7th, 2024, will be a decade without a drink if the universe permits. Was it luck? Was it God? Was it the universe? Well, I think it was many things, but here's what helped me stay sober in a major way. When I uploaded the first episode to iTunes, I burned the ships, meaning I got honest with myself first and then other people. When we create this accountability, it always leads to community. It was the listener who helped me stay sober. Thank you so much. And I'm still on this journey. It was also the listener who suggested where we go next with Recovery Elevator. That's how our private community cafe I restarted from the suggestion of a listener. His name was Robert. 
So here we are, 464 episodes later, over 11 million downloads. My goodness, the world can and does spin in beautiful directions all the time. So there's a bit of history about the Recovery Elevator podcast for you. If you're new to the podcast, keep listening. Focus on the similarities and not the differences. But the key message that I want to deliver today is that if you're seeking an alcohol-free life or you want to quit drinking, then you're going to have to do something different, probably something very different than what you're currently trying. And it doesn't have to suck. Now, if you've just started listening to sobriety podcasts, that right there is something different. And I've heard from a lot of people that their sobriety, that their recovery consists, or a big part of it is sobriety podcasts. Of course, I'm partial to the RE podcast, but I do know there are hundreds of sobriety podcasts, which is a great thing. Now, I don't recommend starting your own sobriety podcast in your sobriety, but I do recommend getting honest with yourself and other people about your goals with alcohol. We call this burning the ships at Recovery Elevator. This is such a milestone for the individual seeking sobriety because you'll no longer be doing this alone. Your actions of reaching out for help or at least having an authentic conversation are more in line with how you're biologically built. Humans are social animals that are wired to connect with other humans. You can 100% ditch the booze and we are here to help. But do yourself a favor, join Cafe RE, go to an AA meeting, check out Smart Recovery, take a sober ukulele class, don't do this alone. There are more pathways today than ever. And here at RE, we feel there's no right or wrong way to quit drinking. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this intro. We've got a great guest lined up. But before that, let's hear from Soberlink. Recovery Elevator listeners, let's talk resolutions. Statistically, only about 10% of people achieve their New Year's goals, while a staggering 80% admit defeat. Why? They lack accountability. After all, how would we really know if you cheated? If you were using Soberlink to maintain sobriety, your support network would know. Soberlink is the only high-tech breathalyzer system that will truly hold you accountable when cravings get a little too loud. Here's why it has our stamp of approval. You'll test at the same time every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Devices have built-in facial recognition so it knows it's you that's testing. Tamper sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping to rebuild trust and prevent relapse. Start this year the way you intend to finish it, sober. Visit www.soberlink.com forward slash recovery dash elevator to sign up and receive $50 off of a device. Recovery Elevator, please help me welcome Danielle to the show. Danielle, how are you doing? I am doing great this morning, Chris. Blue skies. It's Friday. It's a good day. Good day. We'll take it. Uh, Danielle, can you let listeners know how long you've been sober? Uh, Yeah, I am a little over three months right now. Uh, Just past the 100 day mark. Triple digits. Nice job, sister. Thank you. Did you do anything to celebrate? Uh, honestly, no, I didn't. <laughs> That's all right. I feel like 30 days was the one that I like danced around in my garage and like called everybody that I knew to tell them that we hit 30 days. Um, but no, it was just an average Tuesday. <laughs> That's all right, too. I like to every once in a while, I'll just open my little tracker and be like, oh, it's day, whatever. I think 
it's a thing. It's an ice cream day for me. Uh, maybe I do too much of that. Before we get into your story, Danielle, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do for a living, any family uh, that you care to tell us about? And most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? Absolutely. Um, I am 34 years old. I am married. I don't have any children, uh, but I do have a house full of fur kids. I've got two dogs, Hank and Millie, and two cats, Hunter and Gonzo. Um, I live in Northern Ontario in Canada, and I am self-employed. I work as a copywriter and website designer. And for fun, uh, I like to spend lots of time outdoors. I live in a pretty beautiful place. It's kind of like cottage country up here. Uh, so do a lot of hiking, hanging out outside with the puppies. Uh, started to get into paddleboarding last summer, reading, a little bit of yoga, and uh, lots of writing. Writing is big in my life. That's awesome. And before we recorded, you mentioned something exciting. Speaking of writing, mm-hmm. something exciting that you did this week. Yeah, we hosted, uh, I co-hosted our first uh, pop-up journaling chat last night, which was awesome. It was a fantastic group. Uh, I had lots of fun. It was a follow-up to the uh, Ditching the Booze course that I taught in the fall of writing a new narrative. We That went super well. And uh, one of the ladies in the cafe already ended up reaching out to me and asking if I would have any interest in co-hosting a journaling chat with her. So we did and it went great. I love that. Not to not to throw a little Cafe RE commercial into the very beginning of our interview, but uh, what a cool thing, uh, an offering that you gave to our members. And we'll get, I'm sure we'll get more into this uh, further in the interview, but what a cool thing to be able to, to have a writer provide this service to our community and help people explore that thing. I know writing has been very impactful in parts of my recovery, so to have someone come alongside the members of our community and walk them through the process because it can be kind of daunting and overwhelming to start with. So anyway, with all of that, we appreciate you. And I'm, I'm glad that you guys had a chance to do a, a follow-up chat within the community last night. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I think we'll probably do do another one at some point. Everybody uh, had a great time. So hopefully we can turn it into a regular thing. Just kind of wanted to see uh, who would come out for the first night to start, but it was good. Very cool. Well. Danielle, with that, let's do what we came here to do and share your story. Kick us off wherever you think is a, appropriate, whether it's some early exposure exposure to alcohol or, or your first dabblings, and then we'll walk forward together. Sounds good. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, I started drinking uh, at about the age of 15. I'd say pretty typical experimenting in high school. And I would say that I was a pretty normal drinker through high school and like right up until my mid-20s. I never really felt like I was having as much fun as everyone else, though. Um, Like I couldn't quite let loose in the same way. Um, And I think a lot of that could be attributed to the fact that I was super, super self-conscious and unbeknownst to me, very much like an introvert living in an extrovert world. I really wanted to be part of the crowd, but I think it just kind of exhausted me at the same time. Um, My favorite parts of parties were always uh, when I ended up like deep in conversation with somebody else, like one person, 
or when a friend or two and I would like take off on an adventure at the end of the party. Um, so I kind of just felt like a bit of a fish out of water in that sense growing up. I leaned really hard into weed when I moved out and went to university. I've always had uh, trouble sleeping from when I was really young and uh, suffered from pretty intense anxiety from a really young age. Um, and it felt at the time that that helped with that. Uh, so I did become a pretty heavy pot smoker in uh, my late teens and early 20s. Yeah. You know, when you were talking about being like introverted in an extroverted body, I can relate to that when you were talking about like what you shared, what you enjoyed about parties. Same. I, I like that big group atmosphere, but the the meaningful parts were kind of like those one-on-one or small group connections. It's I don't know, it just, it's like, it felt a little more personal and it, maybe it was easier for us to feel seen in those moments. Yeah, for sure. And you kind of end up feeling a little bit weird. I think like everybody else seems like they're having such a great time and you're just like, but I just want to talk with somebody in the corner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of interesting to be in that, in that state where we're, I don't know if hyper observational is a word. I don't know. It is today <laughs> where we're scanning, always doing the scanning and, and trying to figure out what somebody else's experience is and comparing that to our own to feel like we're not doing it right. Okay. So you get into university, you've kind of modified your usage a little bit, um, leaning a little more heavily into the, into weed up until this point, had there been any sort of any consequences or anything, whether it was legal or just social friends noticing or observing anything or just internally things that, that you had noticed? Definitely no external consequences at that point. Although uh, I would say I was probably lucky, um, like particularly from the age of like 19 to 21 kind of thing. I was a pretty wild child. Um, I did spend, I spent six months in uh, South America and just kind of let loose as you do at 19 or 20 in South America. Um, so came out of that unscathed. Um, so no, I wouldn't say that at that point there were any like major consequences from, from the drinking early on. Still felt pretty normal, really. Like I just felt like I was a 19, yeah, 21 year old drinking and partying as you do when you're 19 and 21. Yeah, it's easy to easy to blend in with the group at that. There's a it's a high time for experimentation and dabbling. So yeah, for sure. Well, uh, all right, let's keep going forward from there. What was next? Um, so if I fast forward a little bit, um, I met my uh, now husband when I was 22. Um, and we moved to Australia to live and work for about nine months in 2013. Up until this point, I was still uh, pretty much smoking weed every day, but only drinking again if I went to a party or went out with my friends. Um, but he was a pretty heavy daily drinker uh, when we got together. Um, and then when we were traveling, I started drinking wine pretty regularly because uh, it was really cheap in Australia. Um, and then when we got home from that trip, uh, we moved in together in early 2014. Um, we became pretty fast friends with our uh, landlords and a bunch of our neighbors on our street that were all about like 20 years older than me. Um, I've always been a bit of an old soul. <laughs> so we got along pretty well. Um, I also got a job as a journalist, which was uh, really high stress. And just really trying to settle into, I guess, what you would consider like a 
typical adult life, going to work from nine to five and coming home and having a house and rental payments and utilities and all that stuff. Um, I also owned a horse at the time uh, who I kept at a farm nearby um, where I made uh, some really close friends. And before I knew it, uh, my daily routine usually involved going to sit with my neighbor to have a drink right after work. And then I would go to the farm where we'd probably have like a drink or two. We kept like Mike's hard lemonade there. Um, and then after I got home, I'd go back to my neighbor's place for another drink or two. Um, so by the time my husband got home from work around eight, I'd be like five or six drinks deep. Um, and then we'd continue together at home. And I think what I didn't really recognize at the time or maybe did, but wasn't totally willing to acknowledge was that while everyone else was kind of like eating dinner and wrapping up for the night or had at least taken a pause in there at some point to have a meal, um, I was just kind of jumping from like one environment to the next and continuing drinking and generally wasn't eating dinner until like 9 p.m. at night. Um, this is really, I think, where I started planning my time around drinking a lot. I got really uncomfortable with the idea of going anywhere that I wasn't going to be able to drink how I wanted to. Um, so I stopped drinking at parties. I would kind of just go and hang out for a bit and then go home afterwards. Um, I stopped kind of going to visit my friends who lived out of town because uh, I really just wanted to go home so I could like relax and not be in the pressure of a group setting outside of like the safety and comfort of either my neighborhood or my farm life. That's a, uh, that's a good indicator of that slippery bastard. That is progression when we don't, we, we don't see it coming. And sometimes even in retrospect, it can be hard to, to pinpoint that. But when we start to alter our behavior from, uh, a quote unquote normal, like, Hey, it's a party. We're going to partake to modifying what will, what we will allow ourselves to do or not do based on the accessibility, the accessibility of alcohol or our ability to, to consume it the way that we desire. Yeah, for sure. And that's, I think that's a, that's a big shift. And I know I sure as hell didn't see it. I, I didn't see it coming for me. Like looking back, it took some digging to become aware of that, but it's, I think that's a big shift and, and an indicator that, you know, I don't know, not to diagnose anybody, but an, an, an indicator that, Hey, this is going to another, another place. Yeah. And you totally don't always see it in the moment. Like for me, it wasn't, I'm doing this because of drinking. It was just, I didn't want to be doing those things and I wasn't attributing it to the drinking. It was just, I thought that it was the person that I was at the time. Yeah. I think, I think it's very much in the subconscious. And I think speaking for myself, it was a, it was a, a protection of the coping mechanism that I was using and an evolution of that coping mechanism. And I wanted to ask for a lot of us are, we're using it as a coping mechanism because there's things happening in our life. You mentioned that, you know, at this stage, you were kind of settling into a quote unquote, you know, like the, the adult life, you mm -hmm. know, you had done some traveling, you guys moved in, you kind of got acclimated into your neighborhood. You had your journalism career at, at this stage, were there things that that it was clear that like alcohol is helping me deal with these specific things in my life or was it just like evolution of of a social usage i would say it was very much evolution of the social aspect of it 
um, it just became such a habit. Like, I don't even think that I thought it was helping me. It was just what I was doing. Um, and I don't know if I recognized it or not, but like, again, not even just within the night if somebody was going to eat a meal, but if I was on my own for whatever reason, I was still going to drink that glass of wine. So it was, if it was helping me in any way, it was just filling the time. Like I didn't know what to do with myself really, which I think was a big problem from that time up until like a couple months ago when I quit, I just didn't know what else to do with my time and wasn't comfortable just like sitting in boredom, I guess. Yeah. That, that hits that resonates. Yeah. Um, and anxiety, I guess it was anxiety. Um, like my anxiety was pretty through the roof, uh, at that point. And we were like, just so unsettled in that life, but I just don't think I made the tie between the drinking and that it was a probably causing a lot of the anxiety and be just like not helping. Yeah. It's double-edged sword, right? It, it, it alleviates it temporarily then has this fun little way of, of manifesting a whole shitload more <laughs> later on. Yeah. Yeah. I think I knew I was drinking too much, but I also, I kind of just like, I wouldn't have considered myself an alcoholic. I wouldn't have considered myself addicted. Everybody around me was drinking. So it seemed pretty normal. Um, and I would kind of just like attribute it to the same as needing to fix my eating habits. Like I knew it was a problem, but it was like, well, I need to stop drinking and I need to eat better and exercise more. And then life will be better. And there's always someday, right? So at this stage, we're, where are we at? Like mid, mid twenties, right? Yeah. We lived in that house, um, in that neighborhood, uh, from 2014 until, uh, early 2018. So by 2016, 2017, we were just like deeply unsettled and knew that we weren't happy, but again, thought it was like the energy of the place or our jobs, or, you know, we just, we wanted to get out of the rat race quote unquote, and thought that that would, I guess, get us into the idyllic life that we dreamed of and would maybe not want to be drinking anymore because all of the other stuff had gone away. Um, so I um, ended up getting an internal transfer within my company. Uh, I found a job about three hours north of where we had been living at the time. Um, and I thought if I got away from the environment and like the people that I had been drinking with, uh, that I'd be able to quit and, you know, just everything would change. Of course, that geographical cure that we've heard about. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, did, it, did it land? No, not in any sense of the word. Um, it. it ended up being uh, one of those, be careful what you wish for. And like, wherever you go, there you are kind of situations. Cause it ended up in like very severe isolation um this is a very very small town with not a whole lot around us like I have to drive 45 minutes to get to a Walmart from here I didn't have any friends I didn't have any family within a few hours drive and uh suddenly I just felt like our world and like my world in particular got very very small um all that I had around me that was familiar was my horse and my dog and my husband and my alcohol. So yeah, the world got pretty small. Um, my 
the office that I was supposed to be working out of also closed a couple weeks after uh, I got the job up here. So I ended up swapping to remote work, um, which meant that I was home alone all day long until my husband got home. And then at which point or 4.30, we would crack a drink and then we would continue until like eight o'clock when we would eat dinner. Um, and that pretty much continued for like the next five years up until a few months ago um, when when we quit. And I, I felt like I was able to hide it, um, or at least I thought I was able to hide it pretty well um, because we didn't really have anyone around to see what we were doing. And I wouldn't answer the phone after four o'clock. Like I wouldn't take work calls in the evening um, unless it was a close friend. And if they called me, they probably just thought I was being funny because I was in that like happy drunk stage uh, within the first hour or so of the evening. Um, and honestly, it wasn't all bad either. Um, my husband and I had like a lot of pretty amazing conversations and like a lot of fun in those times we got really, really, really close. Like we were really only had each other to lean on. Um, and I was still doing really well professionally, um, which I think made it even harder to identify it as a problem at the time. Yeah. I think, I think it's important not to, I mean, we can't vilify it completely. Right. Because I've had, I mean, got some goofy memories too, as, as well of like goofy or, or like fun times. It wasn't, it wasn't all bad. I think when we put it in the pros and cons scale, it kind of figures itself out, but you know, but there were those moments. Was there a, was there a drastic change in this shift from kind of a, a, a city sort of urban life to this rural living, which I'm very familiar with. I'm jealous that you only got to have that you only have to go 45 minutes to a Walmart. We're about, <laughs> we're about an hour 15. Oh, so wow. okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm well-versed. I I feel you there. Well, and then also like going to a a remote work setting. And I mean, some people thrive in that. Other people can find that really challenging. Was there a, a distinct change in your usage from going from one atmosphere to the other? Uh, yeah, I think so. It. Um, I stopped drinking wine. Um, wine started to give me really bad headaches, um, and transitioned into. Uh, I'd start the night with twisted teas. I'd have like two to three twisted teas and then I would do mixed drinks with vodka. And that, because I had like the big bottles of hard alcohol, I think just made it harder to like measure what I was drinking. So I don't think I realized that I was starting to drink more slowly mm -hmm. over time. Um, and of course it's hard alcohol, right? So it, it hits you a lot quicker than the beer or the coolers and there was a marked change in behavior eventually um like we had we did have a lot of good times we had a lot of fun it was really amazing for us to connect like that but there was also a lot of like big blowout fights because of the drinking on on both sides um I know I've like I would I would just explode sometimes while we were drinking and we get into fights about the stupidest things that, you know, you're halfway into the argument and you don't even remember why you started. And eventually, particularly in the last like year or two and the last few months uh, of this year, I, instead of having fun pretty much the whole time or most nights, I would have 
enjoy maybe the first hour. And then I just kind of felt like I was feeding a monster. I got to the point where like he would come inside to eat dinner and I would just like have something inside of me that was like, no, I don't want this to end. And then I would end up like an emotional basket case at the end of the night. And I would either call a friend or call my sister like crying. And I talked to them for like an hour or I'd send people weird messages on social media or like even like really long, weird emails. I thought they were weird. She always said they were fine, but I'd send emails to my therapist sometimes because I'd I'd have all these crazy ideas. It was like it unlocked something inside of me. Like I liked being in that space and also hated what I was doing at the exact same time. I was also like cycling through different liquor stores in the area. I know I've heard that story pretty commonly on here so that they didn't you know, get to know me. And I would just wake up at 3 a.m. in a panic, wondering what I had done most nights and then wake up the next morning feeling really stupid And then it was just like wash, rinse, repeat over and over again. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, I've, I've visited with a few people (laughs) over the course of the last few years doing this, you know, and it, it just feels like every time I hear somebody describe that cycle and just the silly, the, the things that we do. The booze math, like I'm going to start with a certain type and then I'm going to, I'm going to go to this because I've got my, I've got my recipe figured out for wh- how this is going to work. This is, this is, this is how I can maintain even to like the size of the bottles, you know, whether that's a conscious or a subconscious decision, I think we know that this size may hide my use a little better than this size. Again, whether that's an intentional choice or not, I think there's a part of us that knows the rotation the speaking for myself I'll call my my post and and correspondence the the drunk ramblings of a crazy chris but you know we all have our our version of that and then waking up nervous and hating ourselves and and, and wanting to change but not not ready not prepared not equipped whatever the case may be to take that step so you had mentioned that this was kind of a you know, a few year stint, like leading up into this year, it was a lot of the same, maybe getting a little bit darker earlier this year. If we rewind, uh, you know, so we're just over a hundred days. If we go back to before August 20th of, of this year, maybe earlier this summer, if you would have asked yourself, what does my future hold? Where am I going to be? Where's my life headed? Like what would, what would Danielle this summer have have said or thought just about the situation that you were in and where you were headed? That's a great question, Chris. So we, uh, I started listening. I found podcasts in January of this year. Um, I first found Arlena Allen's uh, One Day at a Time podcast, and then I found uh, Recovery Elevator. Um, so if I'm looking at the summer of this year uh, between January and that time. Um, I did end up going to one AA meeting in March. I didn't really feel like I belonged in those rooms and I didn't go back because I just had like such a fear of failure of going back with another day one and I wasn't quite ready to quit yet, but we did keep listening to the podcast. And in June, um, my husband decided to join uh, Cafe RE and then I followed suit about a week later 
Um, and I actually started uh, a document, like a Google Doc, called Writing My Way to Recovery in, in June of this year. In response to these podcasts, I really wanted to try to unpack and understand my story a little bit more. Like, I feel like I had finally started to be a little bit less critical about it and a little more like curious about it of just why am I doing this? Like, what am I actually trying to get out of it? I know that I get up every morning and I don't want to do this. And by four o'clock, I am drinking again. But like, what does this story look like for me? Um, so I, I started doing a ton of writing on like what had led me up to that point. And I literally asked myself the question, like, what will my story look like or sound like if I ever go on this podcast? And like, again, was still just kind of in that like cognitive dissonance stage of like, I know that I don't want to be doing this and I don't quite know how to stop. And I feel like this entire year has been a process of building a sobriety muscle that I had never used in adulthood. And while I wanted to just like kick it, like I needed to listen to the podcasts. I needed to figure out that I couldn't do it on my own. I needed to talk to a friend or two about it not drunk, <laughs> sober. Like I finally started to talk to a friend or two and just started to look forward to like, what will this sober story look like? And I did not have the answer. I just felt like I had hit that point where the unknown of getting sober felt so scary, but the idea of continuing to do what I was doing and living my life that way seemed even scarier. So like, it was just keep taking one step, like one foot in front of the other at that yeah. point. You know, I think this is important for our listeners to hear that there's, that there's value in that time before, you know, before your day one, that it wasn't, that it wasn't for nothing. And I, I want to use your, what you just said as, as a motivation or a, a word of encouragement for anybody who's listening, who might think that. I'm listening to this, but I'm on a day one, or maybe, you know, maybe I'm drinking right now and listening to this. Like it's not, you know, we, we have a goal that we want to get to, but something you said that is really important is to shift and start asking those questions, not from a place of judgment. I think accountability is important. It's important for me, but accountability is, is not judgment, but from a place of curiosity and just start to ask some of those tough questions and give yourself space to answer them. Like, why am I doing this? What what's motivating me? What, you know, is there something I'm trying to, to silence something I'm trying to not feel? Is there a hurt that I, I don't want to deal with? Is it the anxiety? Just get curious. Yeah, for sure. That was one big piece that I got out of um, Annie Grace's book, This Naked Mind, right after, uh, right after I joined Cafe Ari, I saw somebody suggest it. So I ordered that it was like the first quit lit book that I got. And that is one of the big pieces of that piece of literature is like, just get aware and curious, right? Like without judgment, you know, mm -hmm. and, and we did like really while drinking, like, how do I feel right now? Do I feel good? I feel good for the first 45 minutes and then I don't. So what's, what's that all about? Or like, why do I actually want this first drink? And can I push it off for 20 minutes or an hour? Or can I get one day 
this week and then two days next week and then three days. And it like, it all mattered and it needed, my process needed to happen in the way that it needed to happen. And it, it did feel like I wasn't getting anywhere, but I also felt like I was really getting somewhere over April to August this year. It really did just feel like building a muscle. I love that. I think it's really important. We, you know, some of us have those light switch stories where like shit hit the fan day one. And here I am X amount of days later. Some of us have a lot more starts and stops and it's, it is okay. As long as, as long as we stay in it, it's okay. I wanted to ask, you've mentioned we, and you mentioned that your husband uh, had joined Cafe RE before you. And I'm just curious about how those conversations took place. I know, I know for me, my wife had quit drinking, not, not out of, you know, I wouldn't call her an addict or an alcoholic, but she just got so sick of my shit. That's why she quit. But those conversations were incredibly hard. Like we had a lot of conversations about my drinking, but I like, I did not like to have them because a lot of those same things that you talked about, the fear of failure, the fear that I'm not enough, the fear that I'm not going to be able to do this. I was scared to have any of those conversations. Um, what did those look like between you and your husband? What did some of those initial conversations look like? And as you both evolved into where, you know, where you are today, maybe talk about the progression of that and, and the impact on your relationship. Yeah, it, uh, it was definitely a progression. Like I said, when we, when we first got together, uh, and I would say in the first like year or two, his drinking caused a little bit of a conflict. Like I would bring it up sometimes and it was kind of like, as the years went on, I kind of just like met him. We were level, like we were totally level. And then I feel like at some point I almost surpassed him in terms of not being able to control it. Um, like he would be able to go inside and eat dinner. And like, this man has the most amazing discipline that I have ever seen. Like, even if we were drinking until late, he was up at five 30 the next morning running on the treadmill and doing yoga and like getting to bed at the right time. So we definitely kind of like bounced back and forth a little bit for a long time. And then eventually we, I think we kind of just hit the same stride at the same time. And like both of us were really that typical sick and tired of being sick and tired and we both wanted to quit and we got to the point where almost every one of our conversations while we were drinking was about what life would be like when we quit drinking like how much better we would feel or you know we would lose all this weight and we'd be able to exercise more and the money that we would save they were they were hard conversations and I think both of us had a little bit of a fear of what life would look like afterwards, whether one of us would be able to do it and the other one wouldn't, or just like what would life look like with us not drinking? Because most of our relationship had been spent drinking together. Um, So that was definitely a fear for sure. But we've always been, we are very, very open with each other and like he is my best friend. Um, So I would say we're really lucky in that sense that we were really always just able to talk to each other about what was going on. Um, And in the end, it's actually been pretty amazing to do it together. Like we did quit together or quit date is the same 
day and having him to lean on through all of this on days when I'm like, mm, do I got this? He's like, no, because we don't drink anymore and vice versa. Um, so it was a pleasant surprise coming out of it. Yeah, I think I think those are some normal fears. I was visiting with a friend yesterday and uh, and she said, you know, when she when she was getting ready to quit, like that was her biggest fear, like her and her husband had met as drinking buddies and what's going to happen to this relationship. And, and, and we don't, we don't know, you know, not all of them, you know, I'm grateful that, that you guys have the story that you do. I'm incredibly grateful for, for my story as well. And it, it doesn't always go that way, but one thing that we can always do is we can always bring that honesty. We can bring that openness and do our best despite yeah. everything else. For sure. We've kind of walked up to that August date. Let's just, let's just go into that. And then I want to make sure that we leave a little bit of time for the, for the last hundred days. But up into that, that last day one, was there anything, anything big that happened that. So I'd say we definitely like did three days, one week, then the next week four, um, and then I think I actually, um, I heard one of Paul's intros that was, uh, it was like what the first seven days would look like and maybe like a challenge to listeners or something. And he walked through like what, what you can expect on day one, day two, day three, day four, up till day seven. Um, and I thought, you know what, maybe, maybe we can do this, but let's try five. Like, let's start on a Monday. If we can make it to Friday, we will drink on the weekend and be very proud of ourselves. And that'll be that. Um, but by the time we made it to five days, we were just like so excited that we had made it to five days and we both felt really great. Surprisingly did not have a ton of like physical withdrawal symptoms, which was a really big fear of mine coming out of it. Uh, just like what my body would do. Um, so we ended up making it to, uh, day 10 and, um, and then on August 20th, um, I had to put my horse down which was uh, heartbreaking to say the least. Um, he had been one of my very best friends. Um, I'd had him since I was 14. So it was like 20 years together. And again, in being so isolated, um, I spent all of my time outside of work at the farm, like a ton of my time. I would finish working for the day. I would go to the farm, take care of, hang out with my horse and a barn friend or two, and then come home and drink. Um, so being 10 days in, we really didn't have the tools strength, I guess, built up. Um, we did like go for a walk and try to do other things that day. And then just kind of went, you know what, this is insane. Um, and we drank that night and that was, that was August 20th. So that was, that was quit day. And it was kind of, it's just woke up the next day and was like, boobs is not going to help with this after having 10 days off and then drinking again, the anxiety was so awful that following day. Um, so really just kind of like grieved the loss of my friend and alcohol simultaneously. Um, so that was, that was that. That was quit day. That's a lot, man. And huge props to you guys for, for not letting that take you to a spiral. I mean, loss is tough. Loss is tough. I've, I mean, I've got a few friends who are horse people and I mean, like any, any, not to quantify a horse versus, but I mean, that's, that's a long relationship that I mean, they get old. We spend a lot of time with them 
you know, to have any relationship go away after that long is, is devastating. But I give huge props to you guys for, for not letting that take you to, to a spiral. And like, what a way to honor yourselves and allow you to process that. And you give yourself the gift. It, it probably doesn't feel like it or didn't feel like it, but to give yourself the gift of truly experiencing that loss and, and feeling what you needed to feel. That's, that's really challenging. And I think that's a very brave move. Um, so good for you guys. I think that's really cool. Thank you. Thank I you. If cool. I don't know if cool is the right word, but I think uh, you, I, I think you okay. understand the sentiment. I got it. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's, you know, a hundred days and change ago, what the hell's been going on since then? Uh, yeah. So I, uh, for whatever reason, I I'd had an idea. I had already, at this point I'd been in, uh, the cafe RE community chats, which had been super helpful to me. Um, I had gotten an accountability partner, uh, which was very helpful. And, uh, at some point we were chatting, she mentioned that she was really into, um, journaling and writing. And I said, you know, I would really love to offer like a writing workshop. I had been a journalist. I had done writing workshops for small business owners before. I thought there's no way I can do it now. I'm like two days sober. And then on three days sober, I thought, what the heck? Let's see if they've ever thought of offering a writing workshop class of any kind. Uh, And it just so happened that Paul was trying to um, figure out what to do with the fall ditching the booze course and asked me if I would like to run uh, a writing course. Um, so we quickly put together a course plan and I ended up running, uh, writing a new narrative th- through uh, the month of October, every, every Monday night. And it was really amazing. It was really scary. I felt like super imposter syndrome and doing it, particularly being so early on in sobriety. Um, I have a lot of gratitude for Paul for sort of taking a chance on me and uh, letting us just kind of hit the ground running with that one. But it really, it was huge for me and my sobriety to be able to offer service in that way. Um, It acted as a pretty cool like goalpost for me as well in the early days. I think once the course started, I was on like day 35 or 40 or something like that. Um, And then to have that know that that was coming up every Monday was pretty amazing. Um, And just to help people sort of embrace writing. Um, I've journaled since I was a little kid and it's been huge to me in in my growth and just being able to look back at my writing. Um, So that's been a huge aspect of uh, my sobriety and otherwise just really taking it one day and step and hour at a time. Um, We, uh, my husband and I really like to lean into the uh, play the tape forward. I have, I would say I had a little bit of the pink cloud for the first 30 days or so, and then kind of went, oh, is this just life now? And have definitely had a little bit of the cravings come back in the last uh, month. But I heard uh, a, a really awesome piece of advice on uh, sobriety Uh, Instagram account that I follow recently, which is like, don't judge your sobriety based on how you feel in that like witching hour of four to 6 PM or at night, like judge how you feel in the mornings. And I can definitely say that waking up with a clear head for the last hundred days and little to no anxiety has been absolutely amazing, despite how hard 
it has felt on the odd afternoon when I'm just like, I miss the drinking, <laughs> but I don't really like I do, but I don't. <laughs> yeah. That's cool, Danielle. And I just want to, I just want to make sure to point out again, you were on, you were on day three when you reached out. And if people aren't familiar ditching the booze is it's like an internal course that we offer. It's uh, usually like a month. It was a month long, right? Or was it six weeks? Yeah. Uh, five weeks. This one was five weeks. Yeah. Five week course. These are, these are internal, you know, cafe area members attend for free. You're at day three and you're like, Hey, I wonder if maybe I could teach a workshop. You end up teaching a course. This is to me, just such a huge proof that, our community and, and not just cafe RE members, but like our, our listeners, it doesn't matter where you are in your sobriety. Like day count is not equivalent of like who you are as a person. You have your experiences, you have a life that you've been through. All those things add up and mean something. And you bring something to the table, no matter where you are. If you're struggling to get a day one, I guarantee you, you still can be an asset to, to the recovery space because we're all learning and we're all growing. And, and I just want to thank you for sharing your gift with our community. I think that's a wonderful thing. And again, just a, a huge testament to our days aren't everything. It's, it's a willingness. And uh, again, that bravery and courage to take a step and just be like, uh, let me see what this email does. And like, look what I did. What a cool thing that, that I know impacted a lot of people. Very Thanks, cool. Man. Thank you. And it's true. It is. It's like you don't think that you don't have anything to offer because you're only X number of days into sobriety. You do. And really, at the end of the day, I think the one thing that I leaned into with that course is if I can help one person try to understand themselves a little bit better through writing, then it would have been worth it. Um, It ended up being pretty successful and we got good feedback, but I think that can be applied to sitting in a meeting and sharing. Like if you share something in other, if you're in Cafe RE in a community chat or you go to an AA meeting and your story resonates with one other person and helps them take another step forward, then like, that's it. That's what it's all about, right? That is right, sister. Danielle, the time has absolutely ripped by and we are at the rapid fire section. Some questions I'll have you answer them in 30 to 60 seconds. Sister, are you ready? I am ready. What was your biggest fear as you were thinking about quitting drinking? Uh, that I would fail, that I wouldn't be able to do it, um, and that I would have no idea what to do with all of that free time. Yeah, yep, yep, that checks out. What is a positive that you did not expect in your life without alcohol? Um, definitely the, uh, loss of so much of the anxiety I really had in my head that that was just something I had dealt with since I was a little kid and it was part of me and I did not understand how much alcohol is like pouring fuel on an anxiety fire. Um, I, I want to say by day four, I woke up that morning and was like, everything's so quiet i can hear the birds instead of all of the mean voices in my head uh so yeah definitely less anxiety and the community aspect of it um 
community in terms of Cafe RE and community even in terms of one-on-one -on -one conversations that I've had opening up to tell people about it. I've probably, you know, I've had a few one-on-one -on -one conversations and almost every one of them has ended up in me sharing and then them sharing about something that's going on in their life, which I didn't expect. So that's been pretty cool. Pretty cool. What is your go-to alcohol-free drink? Uh, I'm a coffee and water kind of girl, but I have enjoyed um, Groovy's Bubbly Rosé. Uh, I'm not, I know some people are, uh, can be triggered by the, the alcohol-free options. Uh, it doesn't seem to be a problem for me, and I was quite pleasantly surprised with the uh, Groovy. Yeah, they've, uh, they've sponsored some stuff out in Bozeman. They, they've got some good stuff. I enjoy Groovy. Yeah, they're good. What is your favorite resource in recovery? This can be a book, an app, a program, a community, whatever does it for you. Um, I would say the podcasts still. I'm still listening to a lot of different uh, sobriety podcasts. I, I now realize that Apple Podcasts, you can search for keywords. So I search for different search terms and stuff like that. Um, have been reading a lot of Quitlet and uh, yeah, the community chats, the, the journaling chat, just trying to lean into community and listen and process other people's stories, whether that's through reading or podcasts, just like this one. Very good. What parting piece of guidance can you give to our listeners who are early in sobriety or thinking about sobriety? Um, I would say definitely that you can't shame yourself out of it. Um, it really, you really need to approach it with like as much compassion and kindness for yourself as you can because I feel like shame is kind of what like gets us into the drinking spiral uh, and it can be really hard to not be so hard on yourself when you are having that day one upon day one upon day one but um, you really just need to remember that you're doing the best that you can with what you have and just take those tiny steps of one day at a time Amen to that. And last, but certainly not least, Danielle, can you give listeners your favorite? You might need to ditch the booze if line. Sure. In my story, I would say that if you have gotten to the point where every single conversation you are having while you are drinking, you are talking about and dreaming about what life will be like when you actually quit drinking, then maybe it is time to ditch the booze. Could be an indicator. Danielle, I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for your service to our community. And keep up the great work. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you, sister. Recovery Elevator, thanks for listening. And thank you, Danielle, for coming on the show. You're going to help a lot of people today. For most of last month, my buddy and I have been talking about how nice it would be if we could get together with some of the guys. Whenever we'd see each other, it was always the same. Man, we should do something. Last week, he shot me a text saying, we're doing dinner, even if it's just you and me, what day works best? I laughed at his assertiveness, but I appreciated it. On New Year's Day, we took a trip to town. We're about an hour from the closest city. We drove to two different closed stores to try to do some shopping and to two different closed restaurants before we finally settled on a wing joint that was open. It was nice to catch up not really have an agenda, and just hang out for a few hours. We're both married, 
both have two kids, and both have demanding jobs. Like so many people out there, we've got every excuse in the world to not get together. But it's important that we do. This is one of those friends like I talked about in my intro a few weeks ago. A safe place to talk about what I'm going through, but someone who will also hold me accountable and help me to be a better person. As we're rolling into the new year, maybe you've got some resolutions or goals or intentions that you're working towards. Ask yourself, who's going to support you along the way? Lean into those folks and let your cheerleaders in. Happy New Year, RE. I'm glad to be with you and grateful that you're here. You're the only one that can do this, but you don't have to do it alone. I love you guys.